Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Talking Blue Shirts. My name is Brendan Azoff, and I am really excited to be hosting my first New York Rangers-themed podcast. But before we dive in to, you know, my reaction from last night's crushing 2-1 to defeat, let's kick things off by talking about the inefficiencies that have led to the Rangers and their 19-18-4 record, which is currently good for 42 points and the 8th worst point total in the NHL. Um, I personally did not think that we'd be talking about them being in the bottom 10 this early in the season, especially with the young stars that they had coming in. And, you know, obviously Artemi Panarin and his success has been amazing, but the team hasn't necessarily gelled, at least on the defensive end of the puck. And it it's almost unnerving to watch as you see them currently unravel during games where, you know, they'll score three or four, but they'll lose. Or they'll score one and then, you know, late goal, like as was the case in Vancouver. And those types of games are you're going to see them from young teams. But at the same time, as a fan, you want to see your team come through in the clutch, you know, get off to a good start, finish a game well. Um, When I played, what you were taught was the first 60 seconds and the last 60 seconds of every period were the most integral. And the Rangers seemed to struggle their most in those episodes of the game. So that's something that I hope they can improve. David Quinn will look at that. Um, Lindy Ruff has to fix it because I think his tenure as a New York Rangers assistant coach is coming to an end rapidly. Um, The Rangers are also just seven points out of a playoff spot, so that's not out of reach. Um, Their season's very much alive and in the balance, which is something that they can still take pride in. They're a game over 500. Um, They just had a bad road trip. They went 1-3, but now they're coming home, and they're going to be able to, you know, hopefully rally off that home crowd, get a couple of wins. And, you know, they have a big part of their season coming up where they're going to be playing the Devils, the Islanders, and I know that all Rangers fans can agree we do not want to see them lose to those two teams. I don't care if they wind up making the playoffs or not this year. We knew it was still a rebuilding year, but please have a good game against the rivals, especially the Islanders. It's been so one-sided the last three, four years. And I just want to see the Rangers, you know, Capo Cock or Tommy Panarin, their new firepower, come through and shine against the New York Islanders. Uh, The Rangers fan base is so passionate, and they want the Rangers to make the playoffs this year, but the draft prospects are absolutely loaded. And another top 10 pick would not be a bad scenario in this case. Um, You're watching Team Canada right now in the World Juniors, Alex Lafreniere. He's going off in the tournament, even with the injury. So Barrett Hayton, the Coyotes prospect, has looked good playing alongside him. And, you know, there's just a lot of picks from, you know, that are just being showcased in the World Junior Tournaments, but are also international this year, that the top 10 is going to be loaded. And I know we've said this about a couple of draft class, and, you know, it's not how loaded it is, but who you pick. And the Rangers have had some inconsistency. They try to go a little more off the board. I mean, Philip Edel late in 2017 was good. I like their 2018 first-round picks. Elias Anderson's the only one that you're like, uh, that's not going to pan out. But at the same time, this one is one of the heavy ones where you're looking at it and saying 1 through 10, maybe 1 through 12, you should be able to get a prospect that you can lean on within three years. So that is something that Rangers fans, you know, instead of sulking about the position in the standings, you still look towards the future and they might be able to bolster themselves again come the 2020 draft. So the Rangers' two main efficiencies that I've seen this year stem from them being very young and them being slow and brutal on the defensive end. Um, They don't have an ability to clog the middle of the ice and create barriers for the opponent's breakout. 
Uh, I think that's one of the main factors why they give up such a high quantity of shots on goal and you know a high amount of scoring chances each game. It, you, you can't let the team go up the boards and then right through the middle. And every time I watch a game, I sit there and I scream at the TV and I'm saying, you got to clog the middle of the ice. You know, that first pass up the wall, sure, you're going to get a winger there sometimes, but odds are that defenseman's going to be able to break out that way. But you can't let them go across ice. You can't let them go across the seam. You have to let them go up the boards, chip it, make them go 200 feet to get the puck and to score. And the, the Rangers have too many times where they're backing into their own end and the other team has full control of the puck. You don't want them to have full control of the puck. You want to make it harder. You watch the good teams like the Washington Capitals, you know, they, they always clog the middle. No matter who's on the ice, no matter what game they're playing, if they're playing a team that's fast, if they're playing a team that's big, they clog the middle, they make you chip it, they make you take the puck off their sticks, not the other way around. And that's something that the Rangers are going to have to learn how to do because if they continually let teams skate full speed into the zone, especially when you have guys like Mark Stahl out there and Brady Shea who are struggling, it's not going to be a pretty sight, as we've seen over the last two games. Granted, the last game against Vancouver, which we'll get into in a little bit, was one of their better defensive performances, but even then there were still some lapses where you're just left scratching your head saying, what are these guys doing out there? Um, as far as their defensive performances, well, it starts behind the bench. We know that Lindy Ruff is a little past his prime. I guess you can put it nicely and say that. Uh, he is somebody that really does not seem to get a grasp on what's going on with the Rangers' defensive core. You have guys like Mark Saul, who, granted, he's been better, I'll say, since he got injured and came back, but he just doesn't have the foot speed anymore to be able to keep up with these top-notch players, and he's always on the ice on penalty kills, and sometimes he does well, but he doesn't seem to move away from the front of the net, and when he does, it leads to a glorious chance for the opposition because he's so out of position and doesn't have the ability to react anymore, and it's sad to see because, you know, six, seven years ago, this guy was a stud on the Rangers' blue line fronting their cup run, doing all these things, and now he's just slowing down at a drastic rate. And Brady Shea, who's also been, you know, he had one good year, and now all of a sudden he's crashed all that promise and potential, and he just can't seem to figure it out in his own end. It starts with him clearing the puck. I've never seen a defenseman who just has the inability to clear a puck out of the zone. It is one of the craziest things I have ever watched that somebody that gets paid as much money as he can cannot just go high off the glass, especially shorthanded. And there was a, a situation in the Vancouver game last night where he had the puck on his stick, on his forehand, and he flubs the clearing attempt. It bounces right to the blue line, and now they get a scoring chance out of it. And it's just, you got to bear down. You got to put two hands on your stick, squeeze it, and get that puck the length of the ice. And if you don't do that, you put your team in a bad spot because now everyone's scrambling. Everyone thought the puck was going to get out. Now they got to go react, recover. You're at the disadvantage in that scenario. And at the same time, Brady Shea also can't seem to tie up people in front. He has a problem defending one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't know whether to go to the puck or go to the man. And it's, it's just been a complete debacle of a season for him. He has no confidence right now. I thought that, I think it was six or seven games ago, he got a nice goal, set up a nice goal, so he had a goal and an assist, and I thought maybe this will give him the confidence he needs to work his way back on the defensive end, but it just hasn't come. So hopefully he can turn it around soon because they need him. You know, right now you have a young team, 
And if they have any hope at advancing in the standings, Brady Shea's going to have to play like the guy they paid that big money to just two years ago. So now getting into the game last night against the Vancouver Canucks, they dropped it 2-1. to one. Uh, They gave up a goal a minute and a half in, and they gave up a goal with a minute and a half left in the third period. So like I said, those last you know minute to two minutes, those are not the times you want to be giving up goals, and in both cases, that's where the goal occurred. Um, looking at the first goal, Alexander Georgiev made the first save, and instead of corralling the puck he poked it back towards the middle and Antoine Roussel was there to cash it in uh when when your defense is struggling like the New York Rangers have throughout the course of the season as a goaltender you just want to eat those pucks up you don't want to have the other team have the ability to jump on those pucks and have your own defense not be able to recover in time which was the case um and for the first goal in Vancouver and I I could tell on Georgiev's face that he was disappointed in himself that he didn't mean to do what he did, but at the same time, the end result is the red lights on behind you and your team's trailing again early. And Georgiev's also young, so uh, you're going to see all these young mistakes, and as fans, we're going to have to live with it for this year, probably next year as well, but that's just almost inexcusable. Cover that puck, get a face-off, you know, let your team settle up, be in structure, and those types of things will fix themselves. I think that other than that, Georgiev played pretty well, uh, he made a couple of good saves in the second period. He wasn't really tested as much as his counterpart Markstrom was. Markstrom was brilliant last night. I thought the Rangers dominated most of the play. Uh, they outshot the Canucks 37-27, to but they fell short. I mean, there was a two-pad stack that Markstrom made in the third period, which was unreal. He slid across. Truba even tried to outweigh him and then go short side, and Markstrom changed from being a butterfly to sliding, and it was really pretty to watch. He made a great save. Rangers hit a crossbar from Kreider early on, and they hit one late too. Uh, Foss had a shorthanded chance, but Markstrom was able to poke check the puck, so he couldn't get a clean shot off. There was just chance after chance like that, where uh, Zabanajad fed Kreider in the slot, and he couldn't tip it home. That you know, the last three or four games they were scoring, and this game they just couldn't find the back of the net. They ran into a hot goaltender, and that happens. So you know, this was more of a hats off to Markstrom and. You lost the game, but, you know, you played well. You got to look at the things that they did well because for 58 minutes, they were the better team. There was just two lapses, which wound up hurting them in the end. So it was it was a good effort, but, again, just not good enough. And you look at Pavel Buchnevich, who wound up scoring the Rangers' lone goal last night. I thought he played well. Uh, he got rocked right before that goal, and I was watching the play thinking, wow, you know, it would be crazy if he either goes after him or you got to hound the puck. And he wound up going towards the guy that hit him. I can't remember the defenseman's name. And then stopped and looked back at the puck and saw Kreider is going to make this play and feed it to me. And he buried it. And that's how you respond to a hit. You put it in the back of the net where it hurts the most. And, you know, Kreider made a great play there. He stripped the puck with one hand on his stick, was able to lift the defenseman's stick and then corral it and pass it over. And all Booch had to do was put it into the yawning cage. So I think that Kreider has, over the last 10 games, shown why people are going to be interested in him, in him on the open market. And it, it's tough to get rid of him. We've seen it with Hayes, you know, Miller, these guys that they've dealt where they wind up producing on other teams and you feel their loss in the lineup. And I know a lot of Rangers fans want Kreider gone, but maybe it's not the best move in the world to you know trade him especially when you're gonna have a team that's pretty much under 22 years old 
you want those veteran guys, especially guys that can contribute like Kreider can. And him and Mika Zibanejad have a ridiculous chemistry. You see them on the bench all the time. Uh, they're hugging each other. They're talking to each other. They're feeding off each other. And the last time the Rangers had uh, guys with chemistry like that, you know, it was Zuccarello, Broussard, and Haglin. And those guys all wound up getting split up. And I don't know if I necessarily want to see that again. I want to see them keep the camaraderie. Granted, they're in a little bit of a cap situation. So moving him is probably in all likelihood the best answer. I think they should look at the back end too. Try to figure out what you're going to do with Stahl. See if you can get anything for Shea. Um, that's where I would personally start. But then again, Kreider is the easiest piece to move. So in all likelihood, he does get dealt at the deadline. Um, Greg McKegg, he works hard. You know, I mean, you know, the old saying, nice guy works hard, but it doesn't help the Rangers in any situation at all. He, he's out there skating with almost no purpose. He just skates in circles, and it's really painful to watch. I, I was screaming in the Calgary game when he got put out there over Cabo Caco because Caco took a questionable penalty at best. And two, two minutes left down, four to three. You have Greg McKegg out there whirlwinding around, you know, the offensive zone with no purpose at all when you could have had one of your most skilled forwards out there trying to score that tying goal late. And, uh, you know, David Quinn, he's stuck to that system where if he doesn't like what you did, you're going to get benched. But that system seems to only apply to the younger players on the Rangers. You know, Brady Shea should have been benched every single game over the last two, three weeks, yet somehow he isn't. You know, Mark Stahl should have been benched a couple of times early on this season. He wasn't. So it's questionable how he applies it. And in that situation, I think you overlook whatever bad penalty you thought he took and let him go out there and try to win you this hockey game. Because right now the wins have been hard to come by. So whenever you have a chance, you got to try to take advantage of it. That is not a situation where you can bench Capo Caco, especially when he was playing with as much confidence as he was in that game, scoring a goal early, getting an assist early. You got to put him out there. You have to. A scary moment in the Vancouver game, by the way, when Philip Edel got knee-to-knee. I thought he was going to be done. That's the second time in a couple of games where he was hurt, you know, wound up skating around, and he was able to come back, thankfully. I think that him and Kako have been feeding well off each other. Even Howden's playing well on their wing, so you do not want to see him get hurt right now, you know. Let him get confidence. He's got 10 goals on the year. I think he's got the ability to be 25-30, to I don't know consistently, but he will definitely reach that plateau in a couple of years once he realizes that he can use his speed and use his shot to get advantageous on defensemen. Um, we talked about Markstrom. Uh, he, he stole that game for Vancouver 100%. There was no doubt that if it was anyone else in goal, it would have been a different result. But there was actually a good play on the Rangers defensive end that was made by Mark Stahl, who I, I will be tough on him throughout the course of his career now at this point because I think that he is too slow. You know, he doesn't do anything productive in the defensive end. He's constantly watching people walk right behind him and instead of battling with them in the front of the line, he tries to front them and every time he fronts the opposition, he winds up missing the shot block and it goes right past him. It either gets tipped or put in. It, it's the same formula where he wanders to a corner and gets beat or he strays away from his man and they wind up scoring. So I've seen it too many times to not be harsh on him, but there was a three-on-two, I believe, in the second period that he broke up, and he actually did a nice job where he put his stick down first and then wound up using his body to block the shot. So he really gave the forward no chance of getting the puck towards the netter to one of his teammates. And that, that's the type of play Mark Stahl's going to have to make. 
I think that he's going to have to start changing his game where he stops trying to stay in the offensive zone too long. And, you know, he tries to make those blue line to blue line passes with D'Angelo because he sees the skill set that D'Angelo has. He's got to be that safety net. You know, you, you got to be the first guy dropping back because realistically, you're going to be the last guy that contributes on the offensive end. And I, I know we scored the Rangers first goal of the season, but, you know, after that, you're, you're not going to be an offensive, you know, threat. So if you see a puck is in a danger zone, one of the gray areas on the your blue line, the opposition blue line, you know, about to be turned over, you got to be the first guy dropping back because you have the least amount of foot speed on the rink. So you got to be the guy that has enough gap. Um, you know, all in all, I wasn't disappointed with last night's performance. I thought that they played well as a group. They got a lot of pucks to the net, which is a positive, and they didn't give up many shots. They gave up 27 so that's really, you know, compared to what they've given up, not bad at all. Vancouver's a skilled team. That was their seventh one in a row or sixth one in a row, so they're good. Uh, they got a lot of young talent, too. JT Miller rang one off the crossbar, which I was like, thank God, because he scored prior to that, again, when the Rangers played the Flyers, and the last thing I wanted to do was see Miller score, too. So I'm happy he hit the crossbar, but they hung in there with them, and we've seen this throughout the course of the season where they'll hang in with good teams. Because the Rangers have skill. Offensively, they're there. They're one of the premier teams in the league. It's just defensively that, you know, becomes the issue. And I saw, you know, a statistic that really kind of threw me off. And the Rangers are worse defensively this year than they were last year, which is something that kind of boggles my mind. And it has to be coaching. Uh, If you add talent on your blue line and you get worse defensively, that's coaching. Uh, last season, the Rangers finished giving up 3.28 goals per game. And this season, they're giving up 3.33. So, I I don't understand the complete, like, just abandonment of their own end. It's almost as if they say, okay, we know we're going to score three. So, all we got to do is give up three. And they play. They're okay with that. But you can't be. You got to try. Like, this game, they only gave up two. And it was too many lapses in their own end. But... Two, you're going to win most games when you give up two goals. That should be the goal, not three. And they're scoring over three and a half, uh, over three, over three and a quarter goals this season. So offensively, they're really good. You know, Panarin's carrying the loads. Abanajed's carrying it. D'Angelo's contributing. Fox is contributing. Kako's starting to contribute. Never has scored. Kreider's scoring. So they got guys that are scoring, and they're scoring with depth. You know, most teams struggle to score with depth. It's the premier teams that do. So offensively, they're trending upward in the right direction but defensively they're almost treading backwards and it's got to be corrected i think after the season ends you have to look to replace lindy ruff find a defensive coach that's you know younger will bring in a structure that these young players will listen to and abide by because that is where the future lies we saw when the rangers had their big cup run uh their playoff runs throughout the 2010s that that's where it stemmed from you know it's solid defense you were not going to beat them by scoring three goals. You were going to have to grind out a 2-1 to one win against the Rangers, and a lot of teams don't want to do that. They want to play that up pace style where they're going to score four or five. And when Lundqvist was in his prime, when the defense was blocking shots, you had Dan Girardi sliding all over the place, him and Mark Stahl, um, they were really, really tough to beat. And that's what they have to get back to because now if they start playing that style of defense with the offense that they have, they're going to be a threat perennially coming towards the cup and I I really see that that's the direction they're trending so there is optimism that we should have as Ranger fans because they really are going in the right direction yet 
defensively, it seems that they're stagnant. And granted, they have Keandre Miller, you know, Nils Lundqvist, Joey Keane in the AHL. They got prospects coming. So th- that scenario will kind of correct itself. But I do think that if you don't have the right coach in place, it, it, you're not going to be able to win hockey games. And we also, uh, just a comparison, you know, you see the Cowboys with all the talent they had in the NFL and Jason Garrett was their head coach and they struggled because a coaching does impact the game. So if you have Lindy Ruff trying to maneuver these young kids coming up and learning the NHL, it's going to impact your future defensively. And I think the Rangers should make an adjustment there as quickly as possible, preferably at the end of the year because you don't want to you know, ruin what's going on. Obviously, Lindy Ruff has some type of camaraderie with the team already. So you wait till the end of the season before you make a change, but that change should come. And if it does, then the Rangers will kind of you know, jump their rebuild even further. So I will end by saying that's an exciting time to be a Rangers fan. Uh, the influx of young talent that's coming in is ridiculous. I've watched a couple of AHL games this year. I saw Joey Keane and Philip Edel have ridiculous chemistry on the power play when Edel was still down in Hartford. And Joey Keane looks like a top-notch defensive prospect, offensively at least. Defensively, I only got to see one game, so I can't really base much, but his instincts with the puck were far superior to other guys at the AHL, and that's exciting to see. They also have Igor Shesterkin, who I think is by far the best goalie in their system, by far the best goalie they have on both all levels right now, the NHL and AHL. I think he's better than Georgiev, and he's better than Lundqvist right now because Lundqvist has passed his prime. But the way that he is able to track pucks in front of the net and I'm not talking about straight shots. I'm talking about his lateral movement, following pucks side to side. The ability to make that ridiculous glove you know, save that very few goalies can make where they're tracking a one-timer and they have to reach back or they have to jump out and try to make a save. He has that ability, and it's crazy to watch. And I know most Rangers fans have seen his highlights, but watching him live, just even on the passing attempts, how quickly he is laterally, it, it is crazy because it is hard to beat him. And him coming up to this next level is going to be exciting to watch. And I expect it to happen before this year's over. I think that Georgiev is going to get dealt and that you're looking at Igor Shesterkin as your number one for the end of this season going into next year. And that's exciting for Rangers fans. We also have Keandre Miller, who looked good in the World Juniors defensively. Nils Lundqvist, who scored a goal for Sweden in the semis. Uh, Vitaly Kratsov, who came back over from Russia. He's in the AHL. And if somebody does get hurt, you could look to him to be the next guy called up. So it's an exciting time with this prospect pool to be a New York Rangers fan. And you definitely have to wonder how many years is it going to take for them to get to that next level? I've said before the season it was going to take three. And I'll stand by that. I think that within two years, they're going to be back in the playoffs. And they have too much talent uh, with veteran leadership like Panarin and Truba and you know Zabanajad that they're not going to be able to jump to that level. So... I think that two more years and this team will be a force to be reckoned with. The one thing that does concern me, and it's it's concerned me the last five or six games, just watching the way they play and the trends that have gone on, is that when you are a team that can score like the Rangers can, and they scored four or five goals, I think they went into Vancouver scoring four goals a game over the last six, which is crazy numbers, yet they're losing. And when you're a team that scores four and gives up five, or scores five and gives up six, and then you turn around and have a great defensive performance like they had in Vancouver, where they give up two goals, but you can only muster one, 
That's the sign of a frustrated team that's young and that's subpar. And I think that that's going to be the way they're going to finish the season. They'll go on another run where they'll win, you know, four or five in a row, and they'll get points in like seven of nine games, and they'll make it interesting one more time like they always do. But I think come the end of the season and, you know, early 2020, you're going to see them start to fade away. And they'll probably be a bottom-of-the-pack team, which, like I said earlier, is not a bad thing in this draft class. But come next year, no more of that bottom-of-the-pack mentality. You need to come out, and you need to come hard. you got to be consistent, both defensively and offensively, and in the net. And I think that the Rangers have all the pieces to do that. And hopefully, we see that come to fruition in the next couple of seasons. So thank you all for listening to the first episode. I had a great time talking about the Rangers. If you guys have anything you want to talk about or hear me talk about on the next episode, feel free to message me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is at talk underscore blue shirts. And I'll see you next time.